you're developing your international business, one thing is often forgotten, cultural differences. The Culture Matters International Business Podcast does exactly that. Focus on international business and cultural differences. Chris and Peter guide you through the maze of business and cultural differences in every podcast episode. Get the global perspective here at the Culture Matters International Business Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Welcome to the Culture Matters Podcast. My name is Chris Smith. And I am Peter van der Lende. You're listening to the Culture Matter Podcast on International Business. We are already on episode number 152. Yep. Yeah, that's quite something. Uh, Uh You can actually find them on culturematters.com. And if you have not subscribed, you can do so right now. And you can do that in iTunes, you can do that in Stitcher, and you can do that in Spotify, uh, pretty much everywhere where you will find your usual, your other podcasts as well. Okay, what are we talking about today in this podcast? Global talent sourcing, culture shock, and cultural competency, all combined together. Why does global talent sourcing sound simple, but in practice it isn't? Why do companies bump into this? And why do they only look at the numbers in black? And why do they skip the idea of actually um, uh cultural competence as such. So we're talking in this podcast about the pitfalls and where you should focus your attention on if you're actually um, um, into global talent sourcing. Right, Peter? Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I think what we uh, what we would like to touch on is the the trend in, in, in the tech world, right? The tech companies that are sourcing across the world, especially from certain countries. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, of course, we have multinational companies. We both were a part of a multinational company with a lot of people from different nationalities and different cultures. So that is, of course, a given for multinational companies. But there is definitely a trend over the last, I don't know, decade maybe, where a lot of countries, if you will, will uh, are sourcing uh, people from, from different countries to do specific technical jobs, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and the primary reason for that is is that in in the home countries, and uh, if if I look at you, Peter, or if you look at me, then I know from from own experience that um, the people, the, the the qualifications that that companies need, that tech companies and or uh, tech oriented or multinational companies need, they can't find that those qualifications at home, and hence that those qualifications are being imported. I'm doing air quotes here, and predominantly what our experience is. Um, typically for me in Europe, uh, tend to be a lot of people coming from Ukraine, from uh, Turkey, from Russia. And from your side, I think you um, you live pretty much surrounded in an Indian community, community as well, don't you? Well, it's, 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 not, it's not necessarily an Indian community, but there's a lot of people from India in general in the United States who do tech jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, also other jobs, of course. There is also kind of an increasing, I think, uh, population of, of people from India in different jobs, and including executive jobs, etc. And, and, but, but of course, uh, there's a little bit of stereotyping, of course, in, in, in the tech jobs. Mm-hmm. And I specifically, North Atlanta, where I live, there is a com- community that uh, of, or companies are, uh, have, have their regional or headquarters uh, in Atlanta or North Atlanta. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, in influence from India, yes. Okay, and how about Latin America, say Mexico and all the way south? How much influence is there in in your part of the world, in the United States, it, on when it comes to global talent sourcing, right? To to specific, I guess, IT skills. 
Yeah, I, 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 I don't see that a lot. Of course, there's a lot of, I mean, it's actually a hot topic as we speak when it comes to the South border, but that's a completely different story, right? That's more uh, the people from Central America and to a certain extent from Mexico who seek uh, opportunities elsewhere because of misery in their home country. And this mm. is especially true today as we speak in, uh, what is it, uh, uh, March 2021 from Honduras. Uh, but if you talk about specific tech jobs, I don't see that a lot. And maybe maybe mm. I'm not in the know when it comes to that. But I think you have seen actually some uh, migration from Latin America yeah. for tech companies, right? Yes, yes. It's, it's predominantly Ukraine, Turkey, Russia. Um, in your case, it's more India, I guess. But I've seen a few Mexicans as well. Uh, who were working at at um, really high tech companies like ASML, and for those of you who do not know what ASML is or does, they're um, they're not chip makers, but they're chip machine makers. One of the very few in the world, um, and they're well. If if you know a little bit about tech, you bump into them uh, pretty much for sure as well. Yeah, and that's those are high qualified jobs that these people do. The, the Mexicans as well, by the way, that I've seen at least. Yeah, yeah. Now, when 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 we were we were preparing this podcast, um, Peter and I we bumped into um, actually it was I came from your corner I think the Undutchables, and yeah. uh, the Undutchables for those of you who do not know what the book is about, uh, I've looked it up here, and this is a book that is written in what is it 1990 uh, or 89, um, it's quite popular in the U.S. Uh, but also in the Netherlands. And it's uh, been written by a Brit and an American who have lived together cumulatively about 22 years in the Netherlands. And um, they they sort of uh, show you what in their eyes, so in the Anglo-Saxon uh, view, what the Dutch look like. Now, the danger that lies in that, it's a, it's a funny book to read. Typically, if you're either Anglo-Saxon or if you're Dutch, um, the thing where this almost went wrong, and this is this is why we're focusing on the culture part here, uh, where this almost went wrong, there was once upon a time after this book was published, an American company that overtook a Dutch company, and the Americans, the, the American people working for that that uh, that American company, were already a bit weary about the fact that they were going to have to work with the Dutch. Right. Um, so what management thought, like, OK, why don't we give everybody who's involved in this process of, of, of this over overtaking, if you want, why don't we give everybody this book called The Undutchables? Now, the Americans were already a bit weary about the Dutch. But after reading this, because the Dutch are being made, well, relatively ridiculous in this book as well. Um, and then the Americans were absolutely sure that they were dealing with a complete set of idiots, the Dutch in this case. So it can work very counterproductive if you don't know what you're doing. So they tried to do well, but they actually they went they went it went south from there on. And you found a book as well. Uh, what's that called again? It's called the sixty million Frenchman can't be wrong. Uh-huh. So it's, it's it's kind of like a similar book. Uh, the, I read the Undutchables as well, and I have to admit it's sometimes uncomfortable. But I think we both know that you you know you take the fish out of the water. That's where you realize uh, what your culture really is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't understand your own culture when you're in it. So these are books written by foreigners, so to speak, so non-Dutch people. So there must be some truth in that. And of course, when I read the Undutchables, I recognized a lot of things, but it's a little bit of caricaturing. It's a little bit of mm-hmm. stereotyping, of course. Yep. Uh, but I, I always thought it was a good gift for people that I work with in the airline industry, in Northwest Airlines and Delta Airlines, if you're going to be an expat in Amsterdam, 
you know, you just read it. So at least you have an, an, an idea, but you're right. It can just emphasize the stereotypes and people yeah. can come back and say that those people are in, indeed silly, right? Indeed, so for, indeed. Yeah. yeah. And so for 60 million Frenchmen, can, cannot be wrong. It was in the same airline space that uh, that book went around because, of course, we, you and I have a background uh, as well in the airline industry mm -hmm. and uh, came from KLM. And of course, KLM merged with Air France. And then Air France and KLM became part of a larger joint venture with uh, Delta. So there was this book going around 60 million Frenchmen cannot be wrong. And it was actually, um, it's, it's maybe a little bit more, I don't know what the word is, maybe positive in the sense that, uh, of course, there's a lot of stereotyping by Americans also for the French, like they're uh, slow or they are bureaucratic and uh, and they're discussed discuss too much and there are more, too much engineering and too little decision making what have you. Mm -hmm. So why is the book then called uh, 60 million can, Frenchmen cannot be wrong because there's a lot of things going well in France. So they, they highlight the history. They highlight the fact that in fact, even the internet might be uh, invented in French because they already ha had a sophisticated uh, a net of communication that was uh, over uh, uh, systems or, or machines as opposed to phones and things like that. So, it, but still, it, there, there's a lot of uh, stereotyping going on, and that's of course dangerous when it comes to uh, international business. It can backfire. Yes, it can backfire indeed. That's that's the point we're trying to make here. Um, now, what we see happening around us, Peter and I see happening around us is uh, we're not the only one talking about culture and cultural differences. There are other, uh, so, say, uh, co-competitors, if you want, um, but they tend to focus, in addition to a little bit about the cultural differences or cultural competency, they tend to focus on, uh, say, accounting and, and law making or, or the local laws in a different country. Peter, explain to me, to us, why is this not, should this not be the focal point? Yeah, I, I always, I'm always uh, surprised almost when that comes up, right? So you listen to a webinar or a podcast or you read an, an article or you read a website of somebody who's promoting uh, international business as, as a service, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And it, it always starts with, well, you need an office and you need people and you need an accountant, but you need to count your money and you need so to do your administration and do your taxes. And you need a lawyer to uh, make sure that you have the right legal entity. And I always thought, why would you start with that? I mean, it's, to me, it's almost the last thing you need. And that might sound surprising to people. But the first thing you need to do, in my opinion, is understand the culture and two, start selling some stuff. So first, you need to understand what culture am I getting into? Because if you don't understand that and you don't understand your own culture, you're not getting off uh, of a. Uh, you're not getting uh, uh, the right start, anyways, because you will fail very early on in the process. And then you need to start to sell something. If that is done, you you understand the culture, you you feel some movement, uh, you know where you stand then you can find a lawyer you can find them online you can find the, you can find them through a friend or through a website you can find find an accountant through uh, through uh, uh, acquaintances and what have you and that will all be okay but it will not be okay if you don't understand the culture and in fact what happens many times is you know, what we call the honeymoon time right so first you think this is going well everybody is happy everybody seems to know what i'm doing everybody wants to buy my product but that's what we call the honeymoon, don't, don't we? 
Yeah, it's the it's it's the uh, the honeymoon time where people are being sent abroad or being uh, um, well uh, expatriated, if you want. For instance, and the topic of this of this uh, podcast is global talent source and culture shock and cultural competency. And what you're pointing out here, Peter, is there's this phenomenon called culture shock. Um, yeah. It's something indeed that happens that seems to happen to everyone. Everyone seems to go through this. Uh, from my personal experience as well, go, coming from the Netherlands, going and living in Belgium. Um, and you as well with your international experience, Peter. It, it, it's something that ten, tends to happen to everyone. Um, and so the first, it, it's a, it's a, it's, it's like a wave, right? In the beginning, uh, the wave goes up, and you feel really happy. These days are the honeymoon times because it's exciting. You're in a new environment, and it's everything is fantastic. And indeed, and then, in, and then eventually, you um, realize that the culture is significantly different from your own culture, and you potentially start to doubt what is going on, what's going on around me, and you might actually get into a depression. I, I can remember there was a, one time I did a workshop uh, in the Netherlands for a tech company as well, and there was an Italian from Sardinia or, or Sicily or something like that. Um, and uh, we sort of, we sidetracked into culture shock and he, he was literally shocked by, by understanding that there is a phenomenon, a term for this, because he was actually in this deep down pit of, of depression where he was wondering, what am I doing here as an Italian in this country in the Netherlands with these duchies? Um, so this culture shock, so it, it, this either leads to people leaving again, if they don't get out of this, this depression, if you want, and I'm making air quotes here, or eventually it tends to um, uh, flatten out again, go up again, because you slowly start to understand that culture, the other culture that you're in, in relationship to your own background, if you want, and then people adapt more or less. Now, the uh, more or less the average time that this takes um, is anything between six and nine months. And it depends a little bit yeah. on who you're looking at. In other words, if, um, um, if a couple goes together and one of the partners is the working partner, then this culture shock tends to happen somewhat later. The person at home tends to go through this uh, faster because they're more, they tend to be more isolated um, as well. Yeah, so, absolutely. So this is, so therefore what's important to, to, um, to consider and not many companies do this, like you said earlier, they tend to focus on, on law giving and accounting, et cetera, et cetera. And we call this culturally cultural onboarding. So how do you get somebody culturally on board in a, uh, in an organization? Of course you have induction programs and an induction program more or less says that you're being introduced to your boss, to your colleagues, maybe to HR, uh, you know, where you can get your soup and your coffee, et cetera. Uh, you might get a bike and a computer and a telephone or stuff like that. Um, but that's that's usually where, where this, um, this induction program tends to end. Uh, very few companies, unfortunately, so if you're listening to this podcast um, and you are in this situation, consider cultural onboarding as well. And if you want to know more about that, then, of course, you can get in touch with us at culturematters.com. Now, the last thing I want to say about this culture shock and hence cultural onboarding is that um, um, you also need to need to consider the partner. If it's a couple coming together, uh, and I, I, I do this under the heading as in happy wife, happy life, so to speak, because in most cases, if you look at Ukraine, Turkey, Russia, India, and um, and Mexico, it tend to be uh, mostly men that are working. But if they come with a partner, even if they come with children, this cultural onboarding is very much for the partner as well. 
And why is it also so important for the partner? If, if you've got kids 12 years and up, I, you should include, include those as well, because it tends to be the partner in the end who decides whether you stay or don't stay. If yep. your partner is unhappy in a certain situation um, and can't find, uh, can't root if you want, then um, the partner will usually decide that we're no, we're going back home. This is not working. So yeah. consider that that cultural onboarding for the uh, for more than only the person that you take on board in terms of your organization. Yeah, that's it's it's so important, Chris. I mean, it is funny that I read your article when you talked about the honeymoon uh, six to nine months, and I previously before we actually started the podcast, I always told people, and this is from my, my, my own experience without reading, without having read the article. And I always said, it's about, it's, it's about a six month period yeah. where you come from one country, you go to the other and you feel like, Oh, this is new. This is kind of cool. What is it's strange. It's, it's different. It's um, I'm don't quite understand it. I'm willing to understand it. What's going on. And then, the person who is working uh, has a uh, does that in slow motion, if you will, because they're working. So mm -hmm. they're busy, busy, busy in the office. And so they, they're picking up uh, bits and pieces of that experience. But the partner is in it on a, on a daily hourly basis almost. And then after six months that fades. And then it's like, I'm not sure if I like it here. There was this couple from uh, Dutch couple from they, they came from Dubai from the uh, United Arab Emirates and they moved mm -hmm. to Venezuela and it was like okay this is new this is okay tropical country speaking Spanish that's nice and after six months they were miserable we want to go back we want to go, in fact they wanted to go back to Dubai imagine that right mm -hmm. because they already went through that whole process in Dubai they were from the Netherlands and they couldn't they couldn't get it done if and eventually by the way uh, unfortunately they got divorced at a couple of uh, years later so it's extremely important to do cultural onboarding what are you getting into and if you can put it on the calendar almost that this is mm -hmm. a, the 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 uh, roller coaster you will face mm -hmm. then at least you understand what's going on right yeah no that's true and 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 just to give you some examples in terms of where things can go wrong um, without getting into details on on dimensions uh, uh, more specifically, uh, let me mention one at least. Let's, and and um, I'm talking about hierarchy in this case because that's usually the easiest one to understand. And if you're looking at uh, global talent sourcing towards the United States or towards Western Europe, say UK, Germany, uh, Netherlands, or Scandinavia even as well, then... Um, if you look at the Netherlands and uh, the United States, a score on hierarchy is around 40, 40. If you look at Turkey, uh, Ukraine and India, all these scores hover around 70. So there's a significant, quite a significant difference when it comes to hierarchy, which means, which has an impact on how people prefer to be managed, what they're used to in terms of their home country, how management is works as well. But also the, the host country, in this case, in your case, the US and in my case, the Netherlands, should understand that their management styles should be different towards this global sourced talent that, you, that you've got from different countries. So your management style should change as well. So it swings both ways. It's not only for the person that comes from the other side of the world or, or, or well, the other, I mean, say Ukraine towards, towards Western Europe, but it's also the host country or the people that are working in the host company who should be yeah. culturally competent uh, with that as well. You have anything to add to that, Peter? 
Well, you, you mentioned hierarchy, right? Uh, you, uh, what about individualism, right? Or, or uh, me versus group? And if, if you're, yeah. for example, from, from a, uh, let's say you are from a collectivistic uh, or, or a, a country where things happen in groups and families and, 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 and that's your lifestyle. And now you're moving to a country where it's the opposite. It's more individualism based or focused. Uh, that can have serious impacts, especially for the partner, right? Because yeah. as, a, as a person who's going to the office, uh, he maybe that person doesn't feel that big difference because you're going from an office in the Netherlands to an office in Dubai to an office in Venezuela for the same company. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still the same company culture to an extent. You have maybe uh, uh, colleagues that are from your country and things like that. But the partner is now suddenly completely alone and, and feels isolated. So these uh, cultural dimensions, uh, we can, you know, we, we mention them often in the, in the, in the podcast and our webinars. Uh, we're not going over all of them, but are major, of major impact here. And, and of course, with onboarding, uh, you can go through them and make sure that you're a little bit more prepared when you cross those borders and cross those cultural barriers. Absolutely. To that extent, just a, a personal example, you might know as an, as an audience um, um, that I have been married to an Indian for, uh, for a little over 10 years. Um, and one day I came home and she was, she was actually like in, in, well, feeling miserable, culture shock. Uh, and then she's, and I asked, what's going on? What's wrong? You know, what, what's, 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 what's up? Um, and then she said, you know what? I don't get any visitors from the neighbors. No, no, no one from my name, from the neighbors in the neighborhood that we live in comes and say, says hello or does anything for me or with me. So she felt very much isolated here coming from an, an Indian collective culture where this is a very a common thing that you are collective in terms of, of, as you mentioned as well, you're doing things in groups. Etc. Yeah. Now, this there's that's one thing, right? That's feeling miserable, and and um, uh, and we're talking about cultural culture shock, cultural onboarding, etc. How about the financial impact, Peter? Can you say something about that? Because yeah. it costs money if you don't. You no, know? that's the point. Yeah, it's it, it's 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 an amazing uh, amount of money that is involved in moving people, and uh, this is true for expats. I know this for a fact uh, mm-hmm. that you know if you want to move an expat family, you're talking about a person who is uh, in in terms of if you talk about an executive level expat, somebody might be a you know a general manager for a company or is maybe the the head of finance or something. You know, that person might make a few hundred thousand dollars a year, or at least for Europeans, it might be a little bit less. But let's say let's say it's a hundred and fifty thousand dollars that that person makes, uh, might maybe even two hundred thousand dollars, depending on the country. Well, that person uh, uh, is not only paid that salary, that person is also have all sorts of benefits. That person is also going to be moved. So moving a family can be ten to twenty thousand dollars, or if, if not more. And then you have kids. All the kids go to a private school. At least that was the case when I was in, uh, in different countries in Latin America, for example. Those those uh, schools can be uh, uh, twenty thousand dollars a year. If you will, you have three kids, sixty thousand. So before you know it, you're in half a million dollar already yeah. in the hole. And then that person is starting the job doesn't know the job yet. Uh, needs to get ramped up, right? That takes a couple of months. And then the person or the partner wants to go back. They don't like it. Well, then you're a half a million dollar in the hole. And of course, with the companies that are recruiting from Ukraine and from India, et cetera, maybe the, uh, those are 
uh, not necessarily all expats. Maybe it's just recruiting locally and they, they will be, become local uh, employees. Mm-hmm. But still, uh, you will uh, pay those people, let's say, between 80 and maybe $150,000 or what have you, depending on the level. And they still go through the same process. Though. So you might be in the hole also for $300,000 after a couple of months when they said, when they say they don't want to work there anymore or they have a problem with the partner. So the financial impact is very, very real when it comes to international talent sourcing. Yeah, indeed. And and therefore, paying attention um, to this cultural onboarding or the cultural aspect of getting people uh, um, comfortable in their new situation, including the partner or the family around it as well, is and is, is also pays back in terms of retention, retention management. People will stick around longer if they feel happy, right? If they feel on their in their place and and are enjoying what they're doing, including of course the rest of the family as well. So yeah. what what we're basically what we're talking about here, or what we've been talking about, because we're towards heading towards the end of this podcast. Is is that um, I've I've dubbed it in terms of we teach you how to swim, you know when we talk about uh, the legal part or the accounting part that stuff you can that is something that you can outsource, literally you can outsource you can say to 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 um, uh, a lawyer like you said okay I I need a company or uh, I I need a contract for this and this person and you can literally outsource that you do not have to do this yourself, but the um, the idea of cult, cult being becoming culturally competent is something you cannot outsource. That is you. So understanding cultural differences starts with you. So what we do here at Culture Matters is we teach you how to swim. You know, how good would it be if, if we would give you a book on swimming um, and you would only read the stuff? How good yeah. are you a swimmer in the end? Well, in, I don't think really you will be a, a very good swimmer because you have to get in, in, into the water as well. And that's what we will help you with as well, is understanding the other culture, understanding that it, this is cultural competency is a skill that can be learned, right? Anything to yeah, add to exactly. that? Yeah, exactly, because as you mentioned, the accountant or the lawyer, uh, you want to uh, have a specialist do that for you. If you go to another country, uh, let's say you go from the Netherlands to the United States, for example, where I live. You don't know the local laws and you don't know the local accounting rules, etc. You better outsource it to somebody. But you cannot outsource it, what what culture to somebody else and say, please, please handle the other person for me in, on, a, on a cultural level. You, you have your boss and you have your employees and you have your colleagues. You have to swim, right? True, no, that's true indeed. And so, if if this if this speaks into a listening, in other words, if this makes any sense to um, to you, you can get in touch with us, and you can do that through going or by going to culturematters.com, um, and you can either call us uh, either in in Europe or in the US, um, or send us a WhatsApp message or send us a simple email, and we'll get back in touch with you. This is pretty much it. Uh, anything to add, Peter? No, I think this is uh, uh, exactly what we wanted to transmit today. Um, I think it's a very important topic. I hope uh, some of the listeners will act on it because uh, cultural uh, cultural differences and culture shock uh, are very, very real. Yep. Okay, so if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do so uh, in uh, iTunes, in um, what is it, Stitcher, Spotify, you can find it all there. And if you are there, why don't you leave a review as well in iTunes typically, because then it'll be available or higher up the ranks, at least for other people to listen to as well. The music you hear in the background is from Ben Sound. You can check them out at bensound.com. I am Chris Smith. 
And I am Peter van der Lende. This was Culture Matters Podcast 152 on international business. We will be back in two weeks. All right. Thank you. Take care. Overlooking cultural differences when you're developing your business internationally can be the biggest mistake you can make. Let Chris and Peter help you avoid those mistakes. Get in touch now. Go to culturematters.com.